This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Uh, Reading from Romans 1, verse 18 and following. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged their glo- the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in their lusts to their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for this error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Boy, that last um, verse doesn't sum up our culture today. I'm not sure what does, but it is good to have you at Redemption Bible Church. I'm going to start off this morning talking about design and designers and designing. And when my mind goes to design and designers, uh, it immediately goes to Steve Jobs. Uh, If you don't know, Steve Jobs is the founder of Apple, and he is the uh, designing creativity and genius behind so many of the products that I don't know about you, but I use on a regular basis. Uh, How many of you use an iPhone? Yeah, a lot of us do. So iPhones, iPads, uh, iMacs, MacBooks, Apple Watch, Mac Pros, all of those things were designed by Steve Jobs, and they're, they're incredible. And one of the things he's known for is making his design very accessible, but also very elegant and beautiful. But none of it matters if it doesn't work well. And that's why Steve Jobs said this, design isn't just what it looks like and feels like, design is how it works. So yes, it's got to be beautiful, it's got to be elegant, but it also has to function. Well, our God, the master creator of the universe, made the world beautiful. 
And you can see some of the landscapes they created, and they're just breathtaking. And our God is uh, the utmost when it comes to beauty. But God also designed our world, the universe, to work. And he designed it to work in a certain way. And when we go against that design, there is difficulty and there's trouble. And we just need to trust the master designer. And if his design and how it all works is evident anywhere, it is certainly evident in the relationship of man and woman. And God created man and God created woman, and he created them to work together. And man was made for woman and woman for man. And there's, there's fulfillment found in relationships and in uh, familial aspects, uh, creating and making a family that are just evident of God's design. And our world has decided wholeheartedly to absolutely reject that design, to say to God, God, this isn't right. We know better than you do. And we're going to reject uh, your clear design for creation and for the world. And it's not just the world that has said that. Uh, the church as well has been massively impacted by the incredible amount of pressure that we have today to conform. We are in a series we're calling The Bible in Life. And uh, the pastors uh, sat down and prayed and, and sought God's face to say, what are some things we should focus on as our people encounter the real world? And how do we help them see how Scripture will help them interpret the real world? Now, I need to say off the uh, start here that uh, we believe in a, a historical, literal, grammatical interpretation of Scripture. In other words, we believe that men wrote the Bible to specific people at a specific time for a specific message. And so there's not many, many meanings in Scripture. There's one meaning, but there are many applications to life. And so when we read, we believe what it says, and that sometimes comes in vast conflict with what the world is teaching us. And this is one of those cases big time, and the church is buying the lie huge. In fact, there was a survey that was done for evangelical churches. Now, understand when I say evangelical, what I mean are churches that would preach the same gospel that we would preach, and churches that would claim to love the Bible as we do. So this is not some of the big mainstream denominations that have clearly gone liberal. These are some of the evangelical churches that are, that are claiming to stay conservative. But this was a survey done, and uh, here was the statement made. The statement was made, uh, gender identity is a matter of choice. Gender, I, gender identity is a matter of choice. And here are the last four years of responses to that. So uh, in, in our day and age, in 2022, 37% agree of the evangelical Local church agree that gender identity is a matter of choice. Uh, another statement in that survey was the Bible's condemnation of homosexual behavior doesn't apply today. That was another statement that was made, and this is the church's response to that over the last four years, uh, where we get to today, where 28% would agree that the Bible's uh, condemnation of sexual homosexual behavior does not apply today. Church has nearly a third of evangelical churches that are being pushed and pressured by the world to have a weaker stance on things that God has taught. So then what do we do as a church today? Well, here's what I want to say. Here's the big idea of the day. I want us to leave here saying, I will embrace God's design for genders as laid out in the Bible. 
Now, I, I need to say right off the bat here that there's a good portion of the sermon that's going to feel fairly heavy-handed, especially in the culture that we live today. I want to say grace is coming, so hang on for that, and a balance is coming, but we cannot deny what God has clearly taught. So let's look at what God has clearly taught when we consider the reality of genders, the reality of genders. Now, I want you to leave something here in Romans 1, and we're going to come back to that, but I want you to flip over to actually Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter Chapter 1. That should be fairly easy to find in your Bible. So get to Genesis chapter 1, and uh, this is probably one of the first Bible lessons you ever learned, especially if you grew up in Sunday school. You were taught about creation, and we're going to focus on that sixth day of creation when God created man, and that's found in verse number 26. So let your eyes fall on Genesis 1, 26, where the Bible says this, Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. And so God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him. Can you read this last part of that verse with me, please? Male and female, he created them. So I think it's pretty clear here in the text that when God created man, he created them with how many genders, church? Two genders, and it was male and female. And now look at what God has to say about that creation in verse number 31, Genesis 1:31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Who was God to say it was very good? Only the wisest being, the most loving being in all of creation, the one who created it all, said it was very good. Now, so important and unique was this creation of man that God expounds on that in chapter 2. In fact, I want you to take a look at verse number 18 of chapter 2. It says this, Then the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. And all the women in the church said, yep. There's only one kind of area of my life where uh, Courtney does not interact much, and that's my car. Take a ride with me, and you'll see it's not good that Jamie should be alone. Um, yep. I will, make, but keeping on, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground... The Lord had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them and whatever the man called every living creature. That was his name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast in the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh and that, in the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It is a beautiful story of creation. I mean, God could have created a woman from anything. 
He made man from the dirt, but he made woman from the man so that they would one day become one flesh and have a family. And that family would go on to the children would go to be joined to a spouse and they would continue to have families. And this is God's ultimate design for everything. And God said that it was very good. We have this weird kind of pull in our culture. It seems to be pulling us one of two ways. And some people are seeing it, but a lot of people aren't seeing how these two things aren't really compatible. On the one hand, you have kind of the feminist movement trying to say, well, we're all the exact same. There really is no difference between men or women. And so therefore, whatever man can do, women should do and vice versa. And you get this weird stuff in sports that even people are saying, you know, that shouldn't be that way. But there's a kind of a push to say there really is no gender. We're all the same. And then on the other hand, you have the LGBTQ plus movement that's saying, no, there's not just two genders. There's any kind of gender you want and just pick out your own thing. And they're not compatible. But the reality is God is pretty clear about how many genders there are in church. How many are there? There are two clearly identified in Scripture, two genders. And it's a beautiful, beautiful design. And so, yes, it's seen in the creation of all things is what I'm pointing out to you. In the creation of all things, we see this gender, uh, uh, the God setting up the world to be two genders. But we also see in the creation of every person, seen in the creation of every person as well. And what I want you to do to see this, first of all, I know you probably need time to write all this down. So A, seen in the creation of all things, Genesis 1 and 2. And then B, seen in the creation of every person, specifically, and for that, I'll have you go to Psalm 139, Psalm 139. Uh, Psalm 139 is an awesome passage of scripture. In Psalm 139, we have this um, real testament of God's omnipresence. And you see that in verse number seven, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? He says, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the grave, you're there. Verse number nine, if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. By the way, are you thankful that God is always holding you in his hand? I hope you are. If you know God and love God, that's a great thought. But what I want you to see is what he says in verse number 13. This is the Psalm of David. David wrote this. He said this in, in verse number 13. For you, uh, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that awesome? Do you remember being in the womb? <laughs> no, I don't either. But uh, when I was there, uh, God was knitting me together. Right now, we have several women in the church that are pregnant. Uh, here is a list of all the ones that I know about. No, not really. Uh, but um, right now in our church, God is at work knitting together people in the wombs of the mothers. Now, look what Paul says about that in verse 14 then. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made Wonderful are your works. This my soul knows it very well. So in the individual creation of every person, God is at work knitting that together. And God cannot create or make something contrary to his nature and his word. So then what do we do when people come and say to us, hey, God made me this way? 
I didn't ask to have these feelings and these desires. I was born with them. God made me this way. We say that's not how it works. But let me help you understand a little bit here. So um, Maddie Grace is now 16 years old. Uh, she was uh, you know, a baby. I remember it very clearly, of course, and then uh, raising her up. And you know, she was my girl. She was my angel baby. But even Maddie Grace, uh, from time to time, would reveal the fact that she has a sin nature. And even when she was a baby, you know, maybe, and I don't remember any exact stories because in my eyes, she's yet to sin. But I know that at some point, probably she looked over at her brothers who were playing with a toy and she decided, you know what? I want that toy for me. They have it for them, but I want it for me. And I'm sure she, you know, crawled over and grabbed the toy and said, mine. And she took it from them for herself. Probably happened somewhere at some point in time. We never told her to do that. We didn't teach her to go take what's yours. So what if she came to me and said, you know what, Dad, I can't help it. I was born a thief. No, but you were born with a sin nature. And it's not then that we just give in to our sinful desires. We see what God has said and what God has designed, and then we try to walk in accordance with God's revealed word. And when we do, when we abide by his design, we agree with him that it is very good. Now, begs the question then, well, why is there so much confusion then? If, if it's so evident that God has a clear design and he's made all of us uh, in, in the womb, why is there such confusion today? And uh, what I want us to do is turn to back to Romans chapter 1. So I had the scripture readers read Romans 1 today because I really wanted you to see this text in its entirety. I really wish I had a couple hours this morning to unpack everything for you, but I want to see Romans chapter 1 together. So Romans chapter 1, and I want to go back and uh, focus on a couple things here. Uh, in my lifetime, and I'm 47 now, in my lifetime, I have seen such movement in, the area, in this area, talking about gender and sexuality and homosexuality, LGBTQ+. When I was in high school, I knew one guy who identified as a homosexual, and that's all that I knew about, where today it is absolutely being pushed on us in just about every venue you can imagine. And I'm just watching a show and a commercial will come on and it's very evident they're pushing an agenda and it's all over the place. And so what in the world is going on with our culture today? Well, here's what's amazing. Romans chapter one was written in 57 AD. 57 AD. Okay, not 1957, not 1457, not 1257, back in the Middle Ages. This was written in 0057, and yet it reveals for us so clearly what is happening today and instructs us as God's people about this. So Romans chapter 1, what I'm going to do is break this apart into two, a two-part sentence. So I'm going to give you two halves of a sentence to help you understand what's going on with Romans chapter 1. So here's the first part of that sentence. Rejecting God's clear revelation of himself. 
rejecting God's clear revelation of himself. Each of those words are chosen very carefully. I believe there's clear revelation. I believe that anybody on the planet who exists can see clearly that there is a God. And I want to see this from verse 18 of chapter 1. So check this out again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They push the truth down. For what may be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. You tracking with this? God's not trying to hide his existence. God's not trying to hide his anger towards sin. It is clearly evident in creation to the point where all of men are without excuse. It is that clear. But men suppress the truth. They push the truth down. The text later says they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Why would anyone do that? Let's look at the last part of the sentence. Rejecting God's clear revelation of himself, men run after their wicked heart desires. Men run after their wicked heart desires. And that's seen in several places in the text. Verse 21, For although they knew God, They did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became as fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves. And that phrase is, uh, I would kind of repeat it again in verse number 26. For this reason, God gave them up to, here it is, dishonorable passions. Men wanted something else. They saw God. They didn't want God. They wanted their own wicked heart desires. Or to put it really simply, people chose the lust of their hearts over God. People chose the lusts of their hearts over God. And when we ignore clear design and we function in a way that God has not designed, it can be really dangerous. You ever use jumper cables? So you have a positive and a negative on each end. Uh, On the running car, where should the positive go on the battery? on the positive. Where should it go on the stalled car? On the positive. How about the negative? Where should we put the negative? Uh, (laughs) Don't get technical, Jay. On the negative. And then uh, on the other car, on the negative as well. So what happens then is it works. Now, what happens if you say, you know, I don't want to do that. I want to flip them. (laughs) How does that work? 
Yeah, that could be very dangerous to do that. In church, here's what I'm saying. Look around and see the results of people running after their own heart desires and the damage that it can create. This is not how God designed the world. This is not how God designed the world. And here's, here's can I, Christian, can I say this to you? It's not going to end well for anybody who's caught up in it. And they're going to need people that will not hate and condemn, but people who will show up to love and to help when it runs to the end of its course. So I need to help us with this. Let's look at the sentence again. Rejecting God's clear revelation of himself, men run after their wicked heart desires. Uh, True of homosexual sin? True of heterosexual sin? Here's God's clear revelation. Matthew 5, 28. But I say to everyone that, uh, who looks uh, at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Looking at pornography with lustful intention is a sin. And if you do such things, you have rejected God's clear design and run after your own heart desire. Hey, doesn't even have to be unclothed. Just has to be a wicked intention of your heart and allowing of yourself to do this. Listen, is it true of, of heterosexual sin? Yeah, it is true of that. Is it true of any sin? Fear, worry, anger, anxiety, gluttony. Whenever we sin, we reject what God has said because we want something more than we want him. Every sin. And our problem is we want to stick this sin in its own separate category, not owning our own thing. And we have to own our own sin. In fact, that's exactly where Paul goes in Romans chapter 2. Take a look at Romans chapter 2, verse number 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We're all caught up in heart desires that make us reject God's revelation to do what we want. So we're all sinners. Everyone say that with me. We're all sinners. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a sinner. This is a warm and fuzzy church, isn't it? Welcome to Redemption Bible Church. You're a sinner. So we need this. We need rescue. Number three, the rescue for us all. The rescue for us all. I want to stay in Romans. I love the book of Romans. There's a really, really good chance that we're at some point in time in the, in the somewhat near future, we're going to start a series in the book of Romans. And then 20 years from now, we'll be finishing the series in the book of Romans. But um, I, I want us to see just the practical outworking here. So you have, you know, really, again, Romans 1 saying, hey, there's some real obvious sin out there that people have rejected God. Romans 2 saying, yes, what? Well, that's lottie dottie. Everybody does that. And then it goes into talking about the law in chapter 2, how the law is not going to save. It talks about the Jews in the beginning of chapter 3. And, uh, but then we get to verse number 21 where he finally gives some hope. 
And I want you to look at verse 21 with me. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. What's our answer? What's our answer? Uh, Well, the answer for us is the same answer for them, and it's Jesus. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Now, look at, we all know that, right? But here's the answer now in verse number 24. Look at this with me. Love this. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Let's not point a finger at other people and call them sinners before we own our own sin. And all of us here need what is revealed in this text. We need justification. I want to really unpack verse 24 phrase by phrase if I can. So here's verse 24 where it says justified. I love that word. It means to be declared righteous. Have you ever sinned and then been like immediately you regret it? And you're like, man, I just wish I could go back in time and and not do that. You ever feel that way? When you come to Jesus and you call sin, sin, and you ask for his forgiveness, he declares you righteous. It's as if it never happened. Justified. Oh, I love that. How are we justified? Well, uh, next part of verse 24, by his grace as a gift. Grace is literally the love of God that we don't deserve. It's God showing us love even though we are the ones who sinned. I sinned. I turned my back on God's clear revelation of himself. And I did it because I wanted something more than God. I should be punished. And God says, no. Instead, I give you grace. In fact, I'm going to give you redemption. The next phrase, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I love the word redemption. It means being bought back from the slave market of sin. And Jesus has purchased us back to himself And how did he do that? Next phrase, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood. That's a a fancy word, propitiation, but here's what it means. I, I hope you feel when you sin. I hope you feel like I deserve God's wrath. I deserve God's punishment. And God is angry at sin. He hates sin. But instead of pointing his righteous anger at you, he pointed it to his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus absorbed God's wrath so that you can be forgiven. Well, how do I get all that to my account? Like, how do I receive all that? Here it is. To be received by church. What's the word? You see in your text? Be received by faith. I just got to believe it. What do I got to believe? Here it is again. That I'm a sinner 
who deserves God's wrath, but Jesus took my place. And he rose again victorious. And I just have to ask God and believe that he'll save me. So if you're in the room today, like I don't know all of you, if you're in the room today and you've never done that, I want you to know you need to do that. Man, if I do that and I do that and I do that, well, won't I just keep on sinning? If God's so easy on sin, won't I just keep on sinning? Would you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 4? I love this verse. Check this out. This is, this is so cool. Romans 2, 4. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to Repentance. It's not guilt. I say it all the time from the pulpit. Here's a verse that it really comes from. It's not guilt that's going to help you be repentant in your life. It is grace, and it is his love. And I want you to see this morning, he loves you, and he's given himself for you. The answer for people struggling with homosexual sin or gender confusion is the same answer for us who struggle with any sin. It is not that we would convert them from homosexual desires to heterosexual desires. That's not the win. It is that we would convert them from guilt-ridden sinners to grace-filled, forgiven people through Jesus Christ. That's the hope. But I also want you to deceive something very, very important. Church, listen. Look at me here. This is why We cannot say it's okay to have these sinful desires. It's okay to have this sin in your life. The church today is trying to say it's not a sin. It's not a sin where God's word says clearly it's a sin. It's not loving to downplay that because people need the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus. And so therefore, what we need to do is not go light on truth, but listen to me, church, also never go light on the mission and grace. The mission is salvation. The mission is the gospel. And let God's kindness do the work in their heart to help them fight and struggle with their desires. Yeah, with me on this? All right. Now, so far, we've talked about pretty much rejecting what is wrong when it comes to gender confusion. What I also want to point us to is receiving what is right. So there's a rejection of what's wrong. There's also the receiving of what's right. Now, to do that, I want us to go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to talk about the roles we should follow. So we have the reality of genders, the reason for the confusion, the rescue for us all. But then the roles we should follow coming from Ephesians chapter 5. Now, a couple of important caveats as you turn there. This text specifically addresses husbands and wives. And you may be here this morning and say, I, I'm not a husband, nor am I a wife, and so therefore, how does this apply to me? Well, I want to say to you, I, I, I think that this text, though, addressing husbands and wives also gives us a pretty good template for how men should be and how women are to respond to that. 
And I think that what we have here is, yes, not husbands, yes, not wives, but gives us a picture of what biblical masculinity looks like and what biblical femininity looks like according to the word of God. Now, this is a very, very robust and difficult thing to really unpack fully. I got four more minutes to do it. So here's what I'm going to say to you. Today, I'm focusing on the men. And if you want more than that, awesome. We're doing this thing called Redemption University. And for the next two sessions, I'm going to be focusing on this very topic. I'm going to be spending a whole session on what it means to be a godly husband slash man and a whole session on what it means to be a godly wife slash woman. And if you really want to get deep into study of that, come to Redemption University. All right? But pastor, I haven't been yet. Don't care. You can still come. But I don't want to go to all of them. Fine. Come to the next two or come to the one that pertains to you. But what I want to do is focus in a little bit, and I want to focus on the men for a moment if I can. And, and I want to point this out, actually, by starting in verse 22. Now, I know Ephesians 5.22 is addressing the wives, but there's some things we infer from this text that I want to point uh, uh, us to. So here's Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 22. Ephesians 5.22 says this. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now watch this. For the husband is the, what's your Bible say? Head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now pause there for a moment. It's a really interesting thing that Paul does in the head. What does that mean that the husband is the head of the wife? Well, John Piper does a really good job of explaining a little bit better about what this might mean uh, in this. Uh, It gets nourishment. uh, That's mentioned in verse 29. And we can understand that because the mouth is in the head and nourishment comes through the mouth to the body. But that's not all the body gets from the head. It gets guidance because the eyes are in the head. It gets alertness and protection because the ears are in the head. In other words, if the husband as head is one flesh with his wife as body, and he is therefore the source of guidance, food, and alertness, then the natural conclusion is that the head, the husband, has a primary responsibility for leadership, provision, and protection. Those three words are really good summaries of what it means to be a man. Leadership, provision, and protection. Now, does it mean that women can't lead or that women can't provide? or the women can't protect. No, God's word has Deborah as a judge who did all of those things. But what I'm saying to you is a big part of what men should be are leaders, providers, and protectors. Do you feel that? Here's the problem we have today. Our society right now, like one of the least popular things you could be is a man. And a white middle-aged man is like the worst especially if you're a redhead. Can I get a witness? (laughs) And yes, I have red hair. Get up off me. I. And so for me to stand and say, men should lead, men should protect, there's a natural part of like, now hold on a second, pal. Where have you been? Haven't you seen that the heroes are women today? And and there has been a lot of pushback against masculine leadership. And a lot of that pushback has caused men to really lose a lot of motivation. Do you know that there are less, there's like a pandemic around our world about men signing up for college? Like there's a way overbalance of women going to college versus men today. It's a massive overbalance even further when you talk about men who actually complete their degrees. And men are unmotivated because they are put, and this is, I read this article in the Wall Street Journal 
This isn't Christians talking about this. This is a society recognizing, hey, we've done something here. And the problem is that men have kind of earned that. We have abdicated our leadership for lustfulness. And instead of providing and protecting, a lot of men have taken advantage of those in their followership. I was listening to the Rise and the Fall of Mars Hill, that podcast that came out a while ago, and there's a whole episode that says what we have done with women or what we do with women, and it is like shocking some of the things that that um, men have done to women in the church. And it's not even a question. I know that many of you women have experienced some of that really poor male leadership. If I can give you just one example, and this is a little tough, but just bear with me on this. Uh, it is very, very common that if a, a man comes out, a husband has come out that he's struggling with pornography. And by the way, that's a big issue today, and a lot of men are. And they go seek counseling in a church. And what they will hear from the biblical counselor or the pastor is, hey, obviously he's got a strong need for sex, and you're the only righteous outlet for that, so you need to have sex with him all the time. After he violated with his lustful choices that intimate relationship, after he violated that trust, we are pressuring women to be vulnerable and open themselves up and to be that for men? I don't know if that's right. In fact, I don't think it is. I get the logic, but I think it misses something huge. Because look back at the text and look at verse 25. Here's what's interesting. So far, I've unpacked the role of man by what God told the women. What, I don't know why I haven't seen this before. I've studied this text like tons, and it just dawned on me this week. There's only one command given to men in this text, only one, only one, for husbands to love their wives and to love them as Christ loved the church. So until you got that down, husband, don't demand anything from her. Until you've nailed that and you are as sacrificial as Christ, as giving as Christ, as protective as Christ, then start demanding things from her. By the way, you ain't going to get there this side of heaven. So how about you just love her and love her how? As Christ loved the church. And I'm telling you, if your wife feels loved and honored and protected and led in Christian godly principles, she's not going to have a problem submitting. And if you want to know what that looks like, can we just end with this? Go to um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. There's a balance here. And I'm afraid that biblical Christianity has overswung that pendulum. And in a fight against what the world has taught about, you know, uh, roles of the family, that they've overswung the pendulum to something that God never intended. But you want to know what God wants from a husband to a wife? Take a look at 1 Corinthians 13 and verse number 4. 
Here's what husbands we should put on this week. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Let's do that, guys. Now, you're not going to muster that up on your own. So what I want to do is end our day today by just praying over the men of our church to say, God, help us to love as Christ loved the men, not just husbands. Don't get caught up in the fact that if I'm not a husband, I'm not a man. It's not even true. Love those around you as Christ loved. So, Father, I just would pray that you would help me, Jamie Hart, with this. It is so easy for me to get focused on my own thing and my own way and my own desires that I get irritable when they're not going my way. Forgive me for that. Father, forgive me when I'm rude. Forgive me when I'm impatient. All those things are things because I'm focused on me and what I want, and that's not love. Father God, love, as you know, puts others before ourselves. And even as I'm preaching this morning, I see ways I gotta grow in this. And I pray that all of our men in our church would put this on and grow in this. And that we as a church would find the right balance of all of these things to never step away from clear biblical truth when it comes to genders and what God's word says about heterosexuality and homosexuality. But, Father, that we would stand there in the love and the grace that you showed those who were sinners when you were here, Jesus, on earth. Help me show that love. Help me find the right balance of leading in my home and being a strong leader, but leading with love. Give me the strength as I focus on Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.